Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also <laughs> known as the Five R's. Uh, I'm George Cagle, and I'm joined by Scotty Jinks. Happy to have you. And Toby Harkless. Hey, good evening, guys. And also, uh, April, baby April, is hanging <laughs> out with us as well during our recording, so you may hear uh, her commentary as well as we go through this. Uh, baby April has uh, is has joined uh, Scotty this evening, and uh, we're very excited for him and his family. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we uh, today are going through Isaiah thirteen and fourteen, which you know really starts off this new section of Isaiah that we're getting into just this Isaiah 13 through 23 in which it's just a a continual proclamations of God's judgment on the nations, uh, including Judah. And so this is like the section of Isaiah that nobody ever talks about or certainly ever preaches on or anything. So uh, I'm really excited about going through these chapters uh, as well, but uh, Toby, first off, what are your, uh, you know, what were your initial thoughts on uh, doing these two chapters or after reading these two chapters, 13 and 14? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so reading them, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great to talk about. There's a lot, lot, lot going on here. As you said, they're not, not covered often in sermons. Um, but yeah, it's, I think we, you're going to see, um, you know, whether pronouncement or oracle or just kind of judgments uh, that, that the Lord is speaking on some of Israel's enemies, um, current and kind of future. Uh, so I think start, starting with, uh, you know, a pronouncement against Babylon, and then that kind of goes on, and then they sing a song to them or taunt, if you will. I think that's the beginning mm-hmm. of chapter 14. And then talk a little bit about Syria and Philistine, Philistine at the end there. So, Right. What about you, Scotty? Initial thoughts? Sure. So, uh, I mean, the flow kind of seems like 13 is um, negative and that uh, 14 is positive. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I Sounds like he did. Um but one thing I did notice uh, was the treatment, uh, I guess, the way that Babylon um, treats um, foreigners, uh, the way that the Lord's uh, judgment impacts their treatment of foreigners, and then the way that uh, Israel um, treats foreigners, the way that the grace of God sort of empowers them to treat them. So I'm excited to talk about that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed as I read through these two chapters, a lot of uh, pronouncement on, yeah, just the ungodly and the wicked uh, and something that uh, we should, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's, it's, you know, it's something that we should, uh, should motivate us to preach the gospel and, and, and try and help uh, warn that these people, you know, that judgment is coming one day when God will judge the whole world. And at the same time, though, also 
anticipate and look forward to it because the destruction of wickedness will bring about the ultimate, you know, salvation uh, for his people, for us. But we're going to go ahead and start in with chapter 13, right, which is the judgment of Babylon, which, again, this is many, many years before Babylon becomes its own empire, right? At this time when Isaiah prophesies about Babylon, it was basically the a major city, but as but part of the Assyrian Empire, right? Assyria was the top dog at this time. Babylon was not much of anything still. Uh, it was a big city that was nice, but you know that was about it. And so Isaiah, I guess, not only predicts, you know, that Babylon's going to become this great empire, but then it's also going to fall as well. And this is, and I feel, you know, as I read this, I, I, I remind myself of like First Peter 5.13, right? Where uh, Peter talks about like she who is in Babylon, in this case, referring to Rome. But there's other places in the Bible as well, like in Revelation, Babylon is kind of a, a word used to refer to um, not just the literal Babylon, right? But also uh, the great kingdoms of this world. And so I believe that chapter 13 not only um, is necessarily, it, it is a judgment on the city of Babylon and the, and the Babylonian Empire, but I think it's also a pronouncement of judgment on the world and its wickedness as well. A lot of this imagery, as we see, kind of, you know, kind of soars beyond just it can't just be Babylon that uh, Isaiah is talking about here. No, yeah, George, I, I think I, I agree with that. Um, I think that you see you see throughout the Bible, you know, from Genesis in Genesis 11 with the tower of Babel, that's, that's Babel. That's the precursors of Babylon. You know, that's um, where you see man trying to, Hey, I'm going to make my, I'm going to make, I'm going to build this tower up so that God will notice, notice me, you know, so starting there all the way through to revelation, you see Babylon as I think a type, you know, of, as a, you know, Babylon, the nation physically as a longtime enemy of God and his people, but also kind of standing in it as a type um, throughout the, the arc of scripture uh, as, as an enemy of God. And yeah, especially in revelation, you see the great battle on falling and thrown into the pit and all that good stuff. Right. And we see uh, the animal that's uh, usually associated with Babylon is the, the eagle. Yeah. So there, right. Some, some, specific things I've, I've noticed as I was reading in these first few verses, right? God refers in verse three to my consecrated ones, right? My, my mighty men to execute my anger. Uh, so these are people who were set aside. In this case, he's referring to the Persians, right? Who will ultimately destroy the Babylonian empire and, and, and wipe those people out. Uh, so these people, not, you know, when we think of consecrated, we might think of holy and, and everything. 
And in this case, it's, it's, yes, they are separate. They're set apart, but they're not because of right for any of any righteousness, but these folks are set aside by God for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then like verse four, the Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. Right. So these verses are kind of like God is taking a personal and direct role in this judgment. This is his judgment that he is actually accomplishing himself. Right. Yeah. So certainly saying, you know, that we, we, we as men, you know, you can even look back at the, um, you know, kind of harken back to the, the story of Joseph where Joseph is, you know, his brothers throw him in the pit and then sell him off to, to Egypt and think he's dead and gone and we don't have to worry about him again till finally, you know, but God is working through that to send Joseph to prepare the way to Egypt. So that when the famine comes there, you know, Egypt's ready to accept Judah or you know, Jacob and his family. And, you know, Joseph tell, tells his brother what you guys intended for evil. And, you know, your sin there, but God through that is sovereignly acting to prepare and to prepare away from my people. Um, so, yeah, just just like here, you know, that God using the evil Persian Empire to bring um, relief eventually to and, and judge, ju- relief to Israel and God's people and judgment right. down on Babylon. Right, because after that, it's when the, the folks are going to be allowed to return out of exile back to their uh, back to their homeland under King Cyrus. Now, from starting in verse six, right, it seems to certainly from six to like 16, I feel like it it really starts to move more towards, yes, this is a judgment on Babylon, but this is also judgment on the world, right? So he talks about uh, in verse six, wail for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. And the, like in verse 8, 13, 8, talks about how they, the Babylonians, or, or the people of, you know, the, the people of the world, will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They'll be in anguish like a woman in labor. And, you know, it reminds me of First uh, Thessalonians uh, 5, 3, where... Paul is talking about the the last days. Gotta pull it up real quick. I had it and then I closed it. Um, First Peter five three when he's talking about the 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 day of the Lord, right? While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So just this anguish, right? The people themselves will they're going to melt. They won't, you know, they won't be able to resist at all. Um, and there'll be an anguish. So there's imagery here that is also used to describe the day of the Lord, right? The last day. And, uh, 13, uh, six and then 13, nine are the only two times Isaiah talks about the day of the Lord. And I think it's important as we read through this, right. And there's this imagery, like in verse 10, that the stars of the heaven, their constellation will not give light. 
right? This is extreme inner, uh, uh, imagery, right? The light is taken away, right? If we, if we recall, like the first act of creation is the light is given, uh, now yeah. light is taken away. Everything is being reversed, right? And this judgment is clearly universal, right? At this point, it is not just about the Babylonians, right? This is, this is the sun, that's that's uh going out and everything um so i think as we look through this it's important to remember right that i belong in this punishment as well right this is not something that god should be ashamed of or embarrassed about he is being perfectly righteous and just in what he's doing here or what he's going to do and I belong in this punishment and death as well, um, you know, which makes should make me appreciate all the more the terrible price that Christ paid in order to save me. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, um, in, in verse nine, it's, you know, and it, it's, it's accentuating saying how it has kind of that triple, you know, piling up like the holy, holy, holy. It's cruel with fury and burning anger. It's it's accentuating that that thing. And, and it's saying, mm-hmm. yeah, and rightfully so that I think to bring us back, like you said, George, bring us back to this is how serious our sin is. And, you know, our sin deserves this. <clears throat> and then if we move on well i do want to touch on verse 13 also just this again the size and severity of this judgment right therefore i will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger so again just this idea that all of creation will be judged all of creation will endure this and and it just blows me away to think that this you know, this is going to happen. And it's something that I, again, am worthy of, right? This is what I deserve. And yet, it's actually going to be a day of rejoicing for me. And then if we move on from there, verses like 14 through 16 are just, you know, some terrible imagery that, again, this is not, but this is part of the wicked world we, we live in, right? Just this Whoever will be found will be thrust through. Whoever's caught will be fall by the sword. Verse 16, their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Right? Each quote-unquote Babylon is going to do this to the previous one until the world is judged. Right? This is just Mm -hmm. the wicked work of depraved men. You know, Persia did this to Babylon. Then the Greeks will do this to Persia. And then, you know, the Romans will do it and, and, and so on. Well, I think it's interesting. Verse uh, 14 uh, seems kind of out of place when you look at uh, 15 and 16. Uh, verse 14 says, um, in the CSB, it says, uh, like wandering gazelles and like sheep without a shepherd, each one will turn to his own people. Each one will flee to his own land. Uh, so one of the, one of the effects of uh, God's judgment in this particular sense is 
uh, a lack of unity, right? So uh, obviously uh, the sheep without a shepherd, you know, makes me think about Jesus and how uh, following him, we wouldn't have to act like this. We wouldn't have to all run to our own people and to our own land. Uh, but he's here talking about um, <clears throat> groups of people and different nations that were working together and they're no longer allowed to. They're no longer uh, able to stand together. And that's sad um, to see that uh, God's judgment in this sense um, is keeping people apart. Um, when he says, you know, the day of the Lord, where the, the heavens are going to tremble, <clears throat> and um, and I wonder if that's, something we're you know suffering from today uh we talk a lot about how uh, isaiah sounds like uh a lot of the pronouncements he's making sound like the current world we live in and uh, a lot of the problems that he's calling out are the same problems that we um experience that are uh dealing with now and i think this might be one of them that right now everyone is trying to return to their own people Everyone's trying to get to their own place. Uh, mm. You know, these uh, divisive uh, histories um, stopping us from being being able to stand together. And that means that uh, when the Lord eventually sends someone uh, to break us apart, uh, we're already going to be apart. Yeah, and mm. I think, that you know, contrasting that with, you know, Jesus, you know, Paul's word in the New Testament is saying you know, in Christ, in there, we will, there's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave free, there's unity there. Um, but yeah, and but certainly without it, it's so much division, so much division. Mm-hmm. One, well, so it makes me think that, you know, the uh, current news story about uh, Dante Wright, uh, you know, the latest um, uh, police involved uh, shooting of an uh, unarmed uh, black man uh, and then wondering, you know, a a lot of the things that people are going to say in response um, and just, does anyone ever think that this kind of disunity um, is actually God's judgment on, on all of us? Uh, Not to say that um, there's, there's no judgment to go around for any individuals involved, but to say the, um, the the root cause of something that uh, keeps happening uh, like this uh, may be uh, more than some uh, council, you know, more than some political action is going to change. Um, because without a shepherd, um, we're all going to be in our own separate corners. Uh, and, and part of that means being at odds with each other. Oh yeah. That's really good, Scott. Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, um at our church we're also doing a study in judges and you can see that through you can see this, you know, there it's a cycle of the people they have a good judge and they the good the judge dies and the people you know, forget about God or don't quit following him. And so he says, Okay, if you don't if you're kinda leaving me I will leave you to go follow, go chase after these other people. And 
you know, chase after these other gods and see what, see how that go, turns out for you. And he, and he said, and you know, I will let you go, go do that and see that you ask for a king. I will give you a king and the king will rule over you or these people will rule over you. And, Till they suffer, and they, then they call out. You know, it's same like Romans one of like, I will leave you to your own depravity, and you will, you know, and and I will use that to bring you back to me. Um, so he used Babylon, he uses Persia, mm-hmm. he uses Assyria to drive the people back to him. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. Amen. So moving on, then from you know, then you have like seven. Uh, chapter 13 verses 17 through 22 it seems the the imagery kind of comes back more specifically just to babylon itself the empire right in, in 17 so again this is you know hundreds of years b- before uh babylon falls it says behold i am stirring up the medes against them right and the medes were uh with the Persians, it was the Medo-Persian Empire, right? To to be more specific, that um, supplants Babylon. And I even read into the history, like a little bit about, like they were excellent archers, like that was part of their thing. And, and in verse thirteen, it says their bows will slaughter the young men. So they they continue on from there, and verse nineteen. I think really gives the motivation for why God is going to judge or judged uh, Babylon, right? It says Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. And basically this, this idea, the glory, the splendor, the pomp, right? Babylon is clearly prideful. Right, both Assyria and the Babylonian empires made the city of Babylon kind of the center of their empires, and then you have right, when, especially like when you read Daniel, the book of Daniel, the the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, right, is completely full of himself, uh, and even gets you know humbled by God for I think a period of seven years, forced to go live like a wild animal because he just keeps bragging on himself so much, like he is God himself. Yeah, and, and I think I, I was, you know, used the mighty Google er, earlier this week and saying, you know, of where is, ba- where is Babylon? Uh, you know, I think it, they're saying it's ruins 50 miles south of Baghdad right now. You know, it, it, the desert creatures are living there. Nobody, you know, I'm sure now some archaeologists are, but, um, but certainly, yeah, that, you see that there. And I think, you know, and I think, so yeah, you see this. I talked about a couple of things I read is like, well, possibly there's some possible fulfillment in like 689 BC with the Assyrians or 538 with the Persians, or maybe it's a merging of the two. But I think in a lot of these, um, I think a lot through this chapter is you see, you can see some near term and, you know, long term fulfillments of these prophecies. And I think, you know, back when I was living in Colorado, they'd, you know, this is not my, in any way, my analogy, but somebody talked about like, you know, as you're, as you're coming into Colorado from Nebraska or from Kansas driving along, you cut, you see the mountains in the distance. You say, Oh, those look really big. And as you get closer, they get bigger and bigger. Um, 
And then when you get to the first, and you see the ones in front, they're like, those seem huge. And you're in Denver. And those are just the foothills. And then, and so you go through the foothills. And so that's like the first near term. And then you go, get to the next one, like, oh my goodness, these are, there's even bigger ones behind that and even bigger ones behind that. So that, you know, you see that from, from a distance, all the fulfillments look the same or, you know, it's like one big thing. But then as you get there, you can see, oh, this is, this is partially fulfilled here and partially fulfilled there. Kind of like um, the, 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 chi- mm-hmm. the, chi- the child, the, the woman to be born or the child to be, born, you know, Emmanuel to be born. Well, you had a near term, probably near term there of like, yeah, this woman's going to give birth to this baby in about a year. Um, but then that, you know, that's a near term. But then the bigger one would be with Jesus at his birth. Um, and so, yeah, you can see, OK, the near term fulfillment would be, yeah, the actual fall of this country, Babylon. But you can also see the final judgment someday with God when he says, you know, there's the illusions there. Um, yeah, it's good. Now, now, you mentioned also uh, the city of Babylon today and how it's in the wilderness and everything. And I know Scotty was very excited to read all about the the species of animals mentioned in Isaiah here. He must have been so, uh, quite the zoologist at Isaiah. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, animals, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't heard about the ostriches and the hyenas anywhere else in the Bible. Now, again, I haven't read all of the Old Testament prophets yet, but uh, certainly a rarity. But again, right, this imagery just shows, right, Babylon's going to be complete totally destroyed and it's gonna it's in ancient ruins and it's gonna remain in ancient ruins right verse 20 it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations i mean and and it hasn't right it is still ruins right saddam hussein for a little while right actually was like i'm gonna rebuild babylon and then he got eliminated you know fairly quickly never got close to accomplishing it uh i think that this is all part of God's judgment saying, no, Babylon, the actual city of Babylon, because of its wickedness and, and pride and um, hostility towards the people of God, there that city's done, right? There will still be things like Rome and, and maybe even, a, you know, just every worldly kingdom since then has kind of been described as a Babylon, right? As, as we said, um, even into this present day. Right. But, uh, yeah, I think the city of Babylon itself here, so it's, it's done. All right. We can move on to chapter 14 then. So the first part, right. Verses one and two talk about, uh, a restoration, right. Of, uh, Israel and of Jacob and, Again, just a promise that, again, this is, right, and I think as, as Toby just mentioned, right, I previously I've called it the law of double reference, which again, I did not term. I read that somewhere. Um, whereas, yeah, it's like, okay, this has an immediate fulfillment in this prophecy, but it's it also points to something even bigger and better down the road as well. And I, I would say that's what this is as well. And as we see throughout Isaiah, this promise of a remnant, right? Uh, people of God. Yes, there is Israel that will return and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and everything, but it never really reaches the splendor and glory that it once had. But, you know, 
I think we can look beyond that to God's church. And, you know, in verse one says, I will again choose Israel. Right. So there is election there. Right. God chooses his people, not because of anything we have done, but simply because of who he is. That he's merciful. And I think this is important. It says in verse one also that sojourners will join them. Right. So these are not Israelites that will join Israel. Right. In this case, it's the Gentiles. Right. That's us. We, um, as it you know, describes later on in, in the New Testament, right, the Gentiles will also receive salvation and will receive uh, an inheritance with the ethnic uh, Jews as uh, God's people. And that's a pretty stark contrast to the last chapter where everyone was uh, running off to his own people and to his own nation. And then here we have people running to uh, Israel, right? They're, yes. um, they're not looking for uh, their own um, place. They're looking for a new place uh, that's been opened for them. Yep. Again, how, I mean, just how merciful the Lord is there, you know? Uh, and then the next section, verses 3 through, I guess, 23, is just a, a taunt of Babylon. And again, it can be, you know, it's a, yes, it can be interpreted as Israel's taunt of Babylon once they were overthrown by the Persians and everything, just the, the remnant taunting them. But again, I think, in, you know, for 21st century Christians in America, we, we should see this as a taunting of just the wickedness of the world, right? The, even our own culture here in America, just mm-hmm. a taunting of, of it instead. Because um, God's people, right? We are go- when the world is judged and evil is finally punished, we are going to celebrate, right? And I think this, is like verse seven of chapter fourteen, the whole earth is at rest and quiet, and they break forth into singing. Right? We are not going to lament the passing of wicked people and and of the enemy, right? Uh, Satan and his people, we are not going to miss them, right, and and their wickedness. Yeah, and I think I think here, you know, I think, yeah, I think some call this a taunt. Some, you know, they're saying, "Sing that you will sing this song of t- contempt." And I think you can look and see, you know, there's parallels um, to Judges, and I think as, as well to Exodus, where of. God using Israel's enemies to turn them to turn Israel from their non-reliance on him to call out to him for deliverance. And, and, you know, this, those parallels in songs of Deborah's song in Judges five, um, or the, the song they're singing as they're leaving Exodus or leaving Egypt, mm-hmm. um, saying, you know, that, that they have been oppressed. Um, and, and God's used that oppression to bring them back to to him. And then, yeah, I think in, in like 10, it's like, yeah, not only not only is Israel taunting them, but also all their kind of their king friends is like, oh, look at you. You're messing up. Um, they're jo- they're right. joining in. 
Yeah, and just you're right. I think it's important to understand. Yeah, this same fate is going to wait all await all the temple rulers, right? Your pomp is going to be brought down to Sheol, right down to to the pit uh, of death, and maggots are laid as a bed beneath you. The worms are your covers. I mean, again, yeah, a, very yeah. That's fear long, factor kind of language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think you know, as I look at verse. Starting in verse 12, this, you know, I think is um, important to understand this imagery because I am, I don't know about y'all, but I'm fully convinced that now the imagery here is pointing to Satan himself. The prideful earthly kingdoms and nations like Babylon, and, and I'll even be as bold as to say the United States today, right? We, we try to make ourselves, the, you know, each nation tries to make themselves equal or above God and powerful and prideful, and, and then that's just like Satan, right? Trying to be yeah. as pow- equal or above God. And, and we know that Satan works behind the scenes of things and, and just like he works behind the scenes of any kingdom or leader that is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You know, if the president of the United States is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then he's a son of Satan. I mean, that's just the truth of it. And so I think it's very important. We don't trust our faith and hope in anything having to do with man or his institutions, because ultimately they, they serve uh, the prince of lies. And, uh, as I look at it, you know, um, if it, you know, if you are or certainly any of the listeners are like, wow, that's kind of extreme, George. Uh, it, it's not the only time in, in the in the Bible uh, in Ezekiel in uh, I had it and I and then I lost it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, he talks about the king of Tyre and again a lot of the words and language used in there is kind of like is he talking just about the king of tyre or is he talking about supernatural evil and and the same thing happens here in verse 12 right this o day star son of dawn and you know this imagery of i am going to ascend to heaven above the stars of god i will set my throne on high i will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north I will descend or I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I mean, again, this is, uh, this was the desire of Satan. This is what he planned to do and, and wanted to do. And I think this imagery, right? Oh, day star, son of dawn. This is actually a, uh, reference to the planet Venus. Uh, because the Venus is actually the brightest celestial object uh, in the sky at night, but it always it never gets quite to its bright. As it's about to get to its brightest, the sun comes up and completely overtakes it. And so, you know, Satan is, is just like Venus, right? He can't measure up to the glory of uh, the sun, in this case, S-O-N. 
but I'd like to hear y'all's thoughts on this uh, section here. Yeah, I mean, I think I certainly I think you can see um, rulers who who think they are super hot stuff, right? Of I am fantastic. I am going <laughs> going places. I'm going to rule the world. Um, and I, you know, and, and you see that in twelve, and I, and I think reading thirteen, I think that for me, you know, reminded me a lot of. You know, Genesis 11 of Babel, where they're saying, hey, we are going to build this tower up to the heavens. Um, we are going to go, we're going to build it up so God sees us and God sees how awesome we are. Um, and then, you know, we can, and when we're up there, we can probably have a conversation, see what he's doing. You know, we're going to ascend above the highest clouds and make ourselves great like God. And so I think it's, um, I, I think this is the natural. This can't, you know, this is one of the ways our sin exhibits ourselves, right? I'm going to puff myself up, and I'm going to make myself great. Um, and that that resides, I think, mm-hmm. unchecked within. Unchecked can be within all of us. What about you, Scotty? Sure. So um, I have heard about the the Morning Star being sort of like a uh, title, if that makes any sense. Um, mm-hmm. b- it being that it, it, the original holder would have been uh, Satan, right? Lucifer, um, who gets uh, cut down and laid low. Um, but uh, Revelation twenty two sixteen 16 uh, says uh, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. And so uh, he's not using it in, in, the, sa- in the sense that like um, he's striving to like take over the, the the brightness of the sun but more like um uh, like he he achieved it um and, and of course um second peter uh one nineteen says um uh, so we have this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And so we see a, like a positive version of that, that same uh, morning star, day star, uh, brought, into, brought into focus. That, um, but here we're talking about a, a morning star that fell. Um, I actually got to have a good conversation uh, with my uh, six-year-old on Sunday uh, because he said he wanted to be uh, Jesus. And, uh, which I completely understand, you know, if you, uh, if you understand, uh, who Jesus is, what Jesus, uh, deserves, then the only logical, uh, conclusion is to say, um, man, I would, I would love to, uh, be that too. But, uh, I was actually able to, uh, use a, a really, um, watered down version of the story and just to say, this is what it means if you want God's glory. Um, but of course his stipulation had been, he didn't want to die on the cross. You know, that did not sound like something uh, worth doing uh, something. Uh, but luckily, you know, we don't need someone else to die on the cross. But I think if we were honest, you know, I, I want to be like Jesus. I just wouldn't say it because I know that that's blasphemy. Uh, so instead I would break it down and say, okay, what does Jesus have? you know, uh, worship authority. And then say, how can I get those things? You know, how can I be the one people worship the one people tell 
uh, stories about, sing songs about, um, how do I get, how do I get to be there? Um, how can I get over the clouds here? And uh, the truth is, I don't want to, because if I understood what it meant, uh, all the things that um, that Lucifer earned by trying to go over God's head um, were damnation, uh, a loss of uh, the enjoyment of who God is. Uh, any any possible good thing is is now gone. Um, you know, verse fifteen says, "You'll be brought down to Sheol." into the deepest regions of the pit. Um, and this may be like, you know, a proverb, uh, essentially, because a lot of the proverbs are there to tell us, hey, this, you know, the adulterous woman may look good, but she's not. Here's what she really is. And uh, I think this text operates the same way and just shows us, listen, you want to be uh, in God's place. Uh, you want to be above him. Uh, I understand that that's going to seem enticing, uh, but what it really means is you're going to give up everything. Hmm. That's good. So moving on, we've got, uh, before we get into verse, starting in verse 24, the Oracle against Assyria and then uh, Philistia, I did notice in verse 21, uh, God through Isaiah says, prepare slaughter for his sons. Because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. And this, that phrase, possess the earth, again, made me think of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5, right? Where it says that the humble will possess the earth, not the pride, the Mm -hmm. prideful of, of, of Babylon. And... Again, just a reminder that God's values are such a contrast to the culture of Babylon and really the culture of this world, right? Including the culture we currently live in. You know, just this idea that the prideful are out and the humble are in. And that is, again, something for us to remember and consider. You know, do we think of others before ourselves you know do we think of god before ourselves because if not then we're committing the same sin that caused babylon's destruction Hmm. yeah i mean i think and and you see these people who thought they were so great um you know that they they're building you know like like the the like the pharaohs in egypt they're building these great tombs to And this is saying you're not going to have a grave. Nobody's going to know where your body is. There's going to be no mausoleum in Red Square or in uh, Tiananmen Square. You're just going to be thrown out and just, you know, trampled, trampled like a trampled course, dumped into a rocky pit, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, and then, and, yeah. you know, and leading into, I think, verse 22 and 23, God cannot be thwarted. You know, he will be victorious. Um, and, and then it's him doing it. it. It's the Lord's declaration. I will sweep her away with the broom of destruction. At the end of 23. Hmm. Right. And then, and of course, we have one more animal, the hedgehog. <laughs> uh, makes an appearance in verse 23. 
uh, you know, if to further drive home the point, right? If ostriches, jackals didn't make, you know, convince you, now we have hedgehogs also. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so verse 24 through 27 of chapter 14 has to do with a new oracle, uh, a message uh, about Assyria, which was the top dog in the world at the time of uh, that Isaiah wrote his book. And again, just this promise of vengeance from the Lord on wicked Assyria. And verse 25 is, is the one that jumped out to me is where he says, I will break the Assyrian in my land. And right. So this is, Yahweh's land, Israel. This is where Assyria will be broken. If you look in Second Kings nineteen, and then even later on in Isaiah, it's going to account. It's going to give this historical account uh, that fulfills prophecy here, where right Assyria gets to within the walls of Jerusalem, and then the angel of God himself comes down and wipes out the Assyrian army, one hundred eighty-five thousand men, and that's right. And Assyria historically like never recovers after that uh that's the breaking of them in god's own land good yeah he says uh, i'll tread him down on my mountain then this yoke will be taken from them and his burden will be removed uh from their shoulders uh this is the plan prepared for the whole earth and this is the hand stretched out against all the nations um, so it seems like he's he's broadening his scope from Assyria and saying mm-hmm. the, this is how I'm going to deal with the whole world and it's it's a sure thing to happen right verse 27 the Lord of hosts is purposed and who will annul it his hand is stretched out and who will turn it back right the, the sureness of God's vengeance on the wicked of this earth is made perfectly clear and it's not going to be prevented. Well, then we have finally uh, verse 28 through 32, which is another oracle, this time against the Philistines. And at first I didn't quite understand what was going on here, but uh, historically, around the time of Ahaz's death, right, says in verse 28, it's the year that King Ahaz died, um, the Philistines actually revolted against the Assyrian Empire, or the, yeah, the Assyrian Empire. Uh, so there's this claim, you know, don't be excited that the rod that struck you is broken, right? Uh, it's you're not gonna, you're still not gonna get away from this, right? The Assyrian strength's gonna go on for at least a little while longer. Next generation is going to be even more fearsome, right? From the serpent's root will come forth an adder uh, and a flying, fiery serpent. So just this idea that, you know, Philistines, you're you're in trouble now. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I kind of saw that, you know, harken back to, you know, see Philistine at the Philistines as the little annoying neighbor's boy cheering on as the big boys getting his comeuppance. And then God's warning him. was like, Hey, your, your beating's coming. Yeah. So don't get too cocky now. 
Mm-hmm. And finally, verse 32, what will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. And again, we, not just Israel, you know, back then in the remnant, but us today, we don't need to join in with the Philistines or the Assyrians or the Babylonians, right? The, the, the kingdoms of this world or the culture and values of this world. We need to trust in God instead and find our refuge in him to help us through all situations, you know, in this life. So that kind of brings us to the end of chapters 13 and 14. So I would love to hear y'all's applications to, uh, you know, us and and our listeners having read and gone through these two chapters. Toby, you're the guest, so you you get to go first. George, of, of like, I I read one commentary was saying, like, these, these pronouncements aren't going to the Philistines, the Babylonians, or the Syrians. You know, Isaiah is telling them to the Israelites. And so he's telling, you know, he's going, it's going one to the Israeli kings or Israelite kings. Uh, and, and the warning there is don't ally yourselves with these countries that these dominate. Don't ally yourselves with evil to us of like, we need to be pure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, so there's that warning there. And I think there's also the, um, the encouragement is a warning of don't, don't ally ourselves, but also the, the, the encouragement that God is sovereign and he will sustain us. Um, so I think that was, that was one of the applications. Another one is like the seriousness, you know, from the, the stuff he's talking about, the wrath of God is, is, is a serious thing. And that's, that that shows the seriousness of our sin, my sin, is that serious and deserves that wrath. And without Jesus giving it, dying for me on the cross and taking that wrath, it would be on me. But because his righteousness is given for me, that's the only way I, I can be, be made it. That without God, we are all these wandering gazelles or sheep without a shepherd. And and then I think in that, you know, that I think I think you guys kind of talked about it last week of we can we can and should sing of God's victory. And and I think from that of I think often we men are like we're kind of if when they're singing in church, we're mumbling along. And I think we should be leading our families and showing them, yes, we can sing. We can sing of God's glory, we can sing of his victory. And we can do it proudly, even if we sing it. If our voice is horrible, it, you know, it, make a make a joyful noise. It may mm-hmm. be a, a noise, but make it joyful. Scotty, what about you? Sure. Well, I'm I'm really happy. Uh, verse thirty two, you know, talks about us finding a refuge, um, because like Toby mentioned, you know, in Christ, uh, we do um, have a safe place. Um, I would say as far as application is concerned, um, what, what I kind of see here, I guess would be, uh, asking the Lord for clarity on, uh, on judgment that we're experiencing now. Um, being able to, uh, look at, uh, my life, uh, the life of my uh, city and church and, uh, 
state, country, and just saying like, what, uh, what are we missing out on, on purpose? You know, like what, what is it that is actually, um, what judgment are we experiencing now? Um, and then uh, asking the Lord for uh, verse fourteen that we'd be able to experience now. Um, uh, like you guys talked about partial fulfillment, like the, there'd be a partial fulfillment now for us to enjoy uh, Israel's return, right? That um, we can live with these uh, resident aliens, everybody united um, by Christ um, for us to uh, experience that. Uh, we've got to humble ourselves, not be the proud uh, mooring star. Um and that's only going to come uh, as we confess and repent to the Lord, and as His, his blood washes us clean of it. Yeah, I definitely want to echo what y'all were saying there. As far as first off, first and foremost, if you have never uh, placed your faith in Christ, you know, uh, then you know, I encourage you to to flee to Him. You know. Um, Confess your sins, you know, humbly uh, ask for his forgiveness and he will lift you up. He will grant you salvation through the sacrifice and atonement uh, made by Jesus on the cross. Um, And then, right, for those of us who are in Christ, we should not look up to, you know, the Babylons of this world, right? We should not envy them and their accomplishments and what they've done because it will all come to nothing. And the kingdoms of this world are pure evil. They are wicked and they will be destroyed. And we, you know, need to be in the world, but not of the world. And we also need to continually check ourselves for pride. I think pride is, it's kind of the root of uh, our sins, right? Because when we sin, we say, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I am the master of my fate. I am, you know, on an even plane with the king of the universe. And, you know, it's it's just so foolish when you, when you th- actually think about it, Um but that was the problem that Babylon had. That's the judgment that they faced. And that's the judgment we're going to face as well if it wasn't for um, God's mercy towards us through his uh, choosing to save us. So we definitely need to rejoice in that, but check our pride. Right. Well, that concludes our talk this evening next week we'll be back talking about god's judgment on moab and damascus in chapters 15 16 and 17 but that's it for tonight and and, and this week um again this is george cagle scotty jinks and toby harkless signing off for redeemer radical reflections from reading rightly Or you can always just call us the five R's.